Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, guys, so excited to be with you here all today. Like Drake said, my name is Fitz, just Fitz. Don't need to add anything else extra to the end of that. Um, but yeah, we're just just so excited to have this opportunity to, to share with you as we continue to walk through our book in Philippians. We've been walking through it this whole summer, this great opportunity to just learn what God has to teach us through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Um, I've been coming to, to City Church for a little more than two years now. It's just been a fantastic home. If this is your first time here, we're just so so glad to have you. I always want City Church to be a place that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you feel loved, safe, and welcome here. So welcome. Um, and we're going to continue on. We're going to see what Paul has to say for us. Before we dig into our scripture, I just have a little bit of a question, uh, just a curiosity. I'm curious, how many people here have broken a bone before? In the light, how many people have broken a bone yeah, looks like maybe about half, maybe a little bit less than half. So it's a shared experience from a lot of us that we've broken bones. I'm not sure if I've, I've I think I might have broken my toe at one point, never got it checked out, but I definitely broke my nose one time, and that was a, a wild time. Uh, it was just, just sort of a freak accident, and I needed to return it back to where it originally came from, and wasn't a doctor, but I gave it my best shot, and uh you know, got it pretty close, but it's still a little bit crooked. Didn't quite get it all the way back. Luckily, my wife still loves me. She never knew me before I broke my nose, so it all works out. Uh, but bones are a really interesting thing. The reason I like bring up bones and talk about breaking my nose one time is because of the way bones break and the way bones heal. Uh, we know that when bones heal properly, when they have proper restoration to them, that they're actually stronger than they were prior to the break. Right, so what, what happens when your bones break is your body just floods that area with, with a, 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 this thing called osteocytes, which just rebuilds the bone, come back stronger than they initially were. That only happens if the bone is, is brought back to the proper position, if they're healed properly, right? If the bone is not returned to the correct anatomical position, then the integrity of the bone is actually incredibly weaker. The, that area where the break happened is, is susceptible to, to break again, is susceptible to experience more pain as a result. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's just a really fascinating thing. Even some martial artists, you may have heard that they like do micro fractures to their bones to create denser bones to, to just as a form of training, right? So it's this thing that, that happens in, in our life that we can see uh, there's this, this interesting benefit to heels, heels happening after a break. Uh, and while I think it was maybe like 40%, maybe 50% of us have broken bones before, uh, not all of us can relate to that experience, but I'm sure that all of us can relate to the experience of what it's like to have a broken relationship, what it's like to experience strain or maybe fractures in a relationship, even if the relationship isn't severed completely, there's, there's strains and, and pains that come from being in a relationship. And, and I would suggest that relationships, the way that they break and the way that they heal is pretty similar to the way that bones break and heal. 
that if you, if you go through a hard moment, a hard break in a relationship, a fracture, and you talk about it, you heal over it, that that relationship is actually gonna be stronger as a result of going through that hardship. However, if you go through a strain or a break in a relationship and that's not addressed or it's addressed poorly, that care is not given to that person as you're trying to heal that relationship, then the bone can heal in a way that's not natural. The relationship can heal in a way that's not natural and it can be susceptible to more breaks in the future or it can, can never truly repair and, and breaks can just uh, continue to come or that relationship might not continue on again. Uh, in our life, relationships, uh, strains in relationships will happen mostly to the people that we're closest to, right? So our family, perhaps our spouse, perhaps our close friends, maybe coworkers, whoever it might be, the closer you are to someone, the more likely it is that you'll experience friction with that person, the more likely that conflict and breaks in relationships will show up. If you're not living closely in relationship with people, then you're not gonna experience as many breaks or as many conflicts in that relationship. And so I'd suggest if, if you're someone who uh, is not experiencing a lot of conflict or breaks in your life, uh, that maybe we need to lean into relationships a little bit more because conflicts and breaks are not in and of themselves a bad thing. Uh, it's just when they're not addressed properly, when they're not healed properly, that they become a bad and harmful thing. We see conflicts show up in many different ways. Perhaps somebody has wronged you and you're the victim of a conflict that's shown up. Or perhaps vice versa, you're the uh, aggressor, you're the person that's hurt somebody else uh, and, and, and they need to forgive you in order for that relationship to heal. Or perhaps more likely what happens is because we live in a murky world and things aren't always so clear cut, there's likely hurt that's done on both sides. Whoever started the conflict, whoever caused it, uh, perhaps there's hurt on both sides that both people need to apologize over. Both people need to receive forgiveness and ask for forgiveness in order for those relationships to heal. I've been a part of, of all sorts of different conflicts in my own life, uh, and in each moment, the, the need for forgiveness and the need for healing is so profound and so, so meaningful. Whether your conflict is the size of the rift in your relationship is the size of going across the street, as big as Boulder Canyon or as big as the Grand Canyon, whatever the relational rift that might be in your lives, uh, in your relationships with the people around you, it's worth healing, it's worth pursuing reconciliation, it's worth uh, just seeing, yeah, seeing restoration come to those relationships. The more that they go through healing, the stronger the relationship will be as it goes through hardship, but it must be healed properly. We can't just shrug off the, the hurt that comes, put it under the rug and hope that it goes away because it'll surface up again later. That's called false peacekeeping. When we, we pretend to keep the peace even though there's conflict under the surface, it doesn't actually do anything to restore the relationship. It just pushes the hurt and pushes the burden down the, the, down the road and it'll come up later at some point. Because because conflict is so painful uh, and often pursuing healing in conflict, that's really hard. A lot of us won't pursue healing and restoration in, in a relationship because it's so painful to admit that you've done wrong or to ask for forgiveness and to share with someone what they've done that's hurt us. A lot of us won't pursue it because it's painful, but it's, I would suggest it's even more painful to leave the relational rift the way that it is and not pursue healing in that space. And I think as I speak, perhaps you're, you're, you're having some relationships that come to mind. And I would just invite you, uh, whatever 
conflicts or relational hurts that you've felt in the past or perhaps in the present. Perhaps you're in the middle of a a break in a relationship, the middle of a fracture in a relationship. I encourage you to to focus in on that, whatever comes to mind for you right now uh, as we continue to talk through this passage and think of how how God calling us to healing, calling us to restoring relationships might speak directly to that relationship that's on your mind, whether it's past or present. Probably can't think of the future. It's hard to future tell. But if for some reason, if you see the future, there's a conflict coming. Think about that one too. We know that, uh, that in the church and in the gospel, we're called to pursue unity. We're called to pursue oneness, right? But it's not just an overflow of the gospel. It's also a communication of the verity, veracity of the gospel, the verity of it, right? If we follow Jesus, we're moved to pursue more unity, when we see people living out in unity where conflict once was or where people naturally experience friction, that communicates the value and the worth of what it means to follow Jesus. When we see people who should be at each other's throats but instead love and care for each other, that communicates the weight and the worth of following Jesus. So we're gonna take a look at uh, this, this passage in Philippians. We're getting into the fourth chapter. Uh, we're gonna see what what Paul has to share with us here. Um, So just jumping in, Paul speaking to the church, continuing on from our previous messages. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord or stand firm in the Lord. I love you and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. These relationships are just absolutely precious to Paul. The reason that he's, he's reaching out to them, the reason that he's imploring them to, to heal over relationships is because of his deep affection and care for them. It's not just do this because you're supposed to, but because I love you and want to see flourishing in your life. I want to see the best for you and the best for the community in Philippi. He continues on. He says, now I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement or be of the same mind in the Lord. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. So we see Paul speaking to these, uh, directly to these uh, leaders in the church, imploring them to settle their disagreements in the Lord, that they would rely on God so that they can co- overcome the challenges that's causing this relational rift for them, this, dis- this destruction in their relationship, right? Um, and there's a lot that we can, we can learn from this short, short chunk here. We know that it's not some side disagreement that isn't really uh, central to the church. We know that this, this disagreement or this rift in their relationship likely is affecting many people in the rest of the community and the rest of the church in Philippi uh, because he mentions it in a letter that goes to the whole community, right? You wouldn't mention in a letter that's going to the whole church about a side conflict that's going on. That'd be a little bit off-putting. Um, but he finds it worthwhile and valuable to, to say this in front of everyone. So likely this is affecting the whole community. Just like our, our relational rifts and, and disagreements with people likely don't just affect you and that other person. Likely those problems spread and affect the other people around you in whatever community setting that you're in just like a broken bone will then affect the rest of your body, right? If you have an injury in one area, it's likely going to show up and manifest in the rest of your body as well. And so he finds it worthwhile to bring up here, and he also encourages 
the true partner, we don't really know who the true partner is, but the more important significance of that is that he's asking someone to, to help be a mediator for these people who, who have this difference, who have this relational rift, and perhaps it's hard for them to overcome on their own. And so he's inviting a third party who loves and cares for them just as he does to help them process through that, through that so that they can find healing and restoration as well. We see that with a lavish outpouring of love, Paul challenges the community to stand firm in the Lord and pleads with the women to be of the same mind. He passionately loves a divided community. He warmly embraces the community and urges the two opposing leaders of warring factions to be reconciled. And there's there's a, a, a thing that shows up a lot throughout Philippians. Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord. And when he says, in the Lord, or you belong to the Lord, when he, when he talks about that, I want you to just see that as a place where God is saying, Maybe this is something I'm asking for you and encouraging you to do just seems insurmountable on your own, in your own power and in your own relationships. But in the Lord and in this relationship, relying on God, it becomes possible. This disagreement, this, this challenge between you two leaders has caused this big rift and it's not possible for you to, to solve this on your own. But relying on God, relying on the Lord, relying on the community around them, they can find healing and find restoration that is worthwhile and that if it's left un- unaddressed, it will, would continue to cause ruin, not only for their relationship, but for the whole community, it would continue to cause stress as it's spread out. We see uh, in this passage, Paul speaks specifically to these two women leaders in the church, uh, but we see division everywhere. We see it in individual relationships, we see it in, in larger communities, we can see it on a much larger scale within countries, within uh, the church in America, the church in the world. There's constant reasons for division to, to surface, constant reasons for you not to to be in close relationships with the people around you, especially in, especially in the day and age of the social media era where you constantly see people that uh, people saying things that, that sound shocking and surprising to you and you're like, how can I be friends with this person when they feel this way, when they believe these things, you know? There's constant reasons for us to find a vision. But my encouragement for us is if we're followers of Jesus, if we're people who would call ourselves Christians that follow Jesus, that there's more reason to be of the same mind, there's more reason to be one under God uh, than there is to, to be divided and at each other's throats. Many reasons for division in the world and in the church today, there's, there's plenty of political division, plenty of racial division, generational division, socioeconomical division. We see entire cities separated by uh, the way that the, the, the people in the city are made up socioeconomically or racially. There's plenty of reasons that people are divided and it just f- floods more reason and more, more uh, weight into interrelational divisions, right? But we also see uh, in the face of all that division that we see around the world, we see in the early church, as we learn in, um, as, as we hear the early church described in the Bible, that Christianity and the gospel of Jesus actually stands against the face of all those divisions, that there's so many examples of why that division is not more powerful than the love of Jesus, why that division is not more powerful than, than what we're called to. One example is uh, some of the relationships between the disciples that followed Jesus. Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot, two people that should not be friends, but become brothers. Here's a quote from Scott Saul, a pastor. He talks about Matthew's emphasis on a tax collector living in community with a zealot suggests a hierarchy of loyalties, especially for Christians. Our loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom must always exceed our loyalty to an earthly agenda, whether political or otherwise. 
one person who has, has blended in with the Romans as they've come into this, to this civilization, right? And has said, I'm gonna be a tax collector. I'm gonna benefit from what the Romans are doing to my people. One person who's a zealot who says, I'm gonna try and dismantle the Roman Empire and, and remove them from here. People who are politically completely at odds become brothers in love with following Jesus and seeing his kingdom grow more than they care for their political uh, alliances to grow. Another thing we see as the early church is described is actually this, this notion that the early Christian church was the first multi-ethnic religion. Prior to Christianity, most religion formed around uh, national lines, formed around ethnic lines. What people you were a part of determined what religion or what faith that you were a part of. But when Jesus came, he invited uh, people from all different backgrounds, even people whose ethnicity should put them at odds with each other. He invited them in into relationship. Here's a quote from Tim Keller. He suggests that the reason that the church was growing was not just that this multi-ethnic, multi-racial, bringing down the barriers, new fellowship was the result of preaching of the gospel. It probably was the reason that the gospel was believed. It was not only the result of the gospel, but it was the communication of the gospel. So we see that the gospel encourages us to be in diverse relationships, one in the Lord, one in relationship with the Lord, people who are completely different from each other, it's a call for that, but also when people look in to what, what it looks like to follow Jesus and they see people from all different backgrounds loving Jesus and knowing Jesus, it's also a com- another communication of the truth and the veracity of the good news of what it means to follow Jesus. So there's plenty of reasons for division, but I suggest that there's more reason to be one. There's more re- reason to be united under the love of Jesus. I'd suggest that healthy community is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of intentional reconciliation. Conflict is gonna show up. No matter where you are, if you're in relationship with people, if you, you're, you're, you're going to a city group, you're hanging out with people, you're parenting around other people, if you're in relationship with people, conflict will show up. That's just the, the natural mode of life, right? Um, but a healthy community is not marked by the absence of conflict. It's marked by a, a desire to see that conflict grow each other, to see as a result of that conflict, we can heal and restore those relationships and grow even stronger from them, whether it's large and massive or it's small, small scale conflict. The question is, right, what is reconciliation and the healing of broken relationships in the Lord look like? What, how can we live that out? How can we walk into that? What's, what might be a good example of what that looks like? And so we'll continue on to another passage here in Acts. Acts is, a, is just a beautiful, a beautiful book just dis- depicting the growth of the early church, especially early in the book of Acts. In chapter two, it talks about uh, the, the people from all sorts of different backgrounds coming together under the Lord. It's really beautiful. In this passage, we read that in those days, this is Peter speaking to the early church. He says, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When you hear the word Gentiles, when the, when the Bible says that word, it just means people who are not Jewish, part of the, the Jewish faith or, or ethnicity. 
Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the, the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. This is the beautiful good news. This is the, the, the gospel news that through Jesus and through his death on the cross that we can be reconciled to him and reconciled to the people around us. Prior to this time, Jews and Gentiles were ethnic enemies. There was no reason for them to be in relationship with each other. There's no reason for them to, to be friendly or call themselves family, call themselves one new people. But it was through this action of Christ coming and living this sinful life, sinless life, excuse me, uh, and dying on the cross to, to create a way where we could be re both reconciled to God and to the people around us. And so our, our invitation here is, is to be reconciled to each other and to be reconciled to God. That we who had no way except in the Lord, there's no way for us to reconcile with each other. There's no way for our relationship to be restored with God. We were separated from him and it was only through Jesus, it was only through his, his love and sacrifice that we might be able to be reconciled with him. The gospel is a message of reconciliation to our broken relationships with God. That's the first one that we were separated from, our relationship to others also to creation, to the world around us, as well as within our own selves. Even our relationship to ourselves is broken and flawed and requires God for us to see healing, to see, to see growth and healing come to that relationship, even with ourself. And the gospel calls us to respond to disunity and conflict by pursuing oneness through reconciliation. Too many of us feel it's easier to follow Jesus in isolation outside of community. And maybe that feels true. Maybe it feels like it's easier for me to be a good Christian, it's easier for me to know Jesus well if I'm just doing it on my own, just somewhere out in the mountains all by myself, I can do that by myself and know Jesus well. But the way that we grow and the way that we, we see conflict show up in our own self is through in community with other people. Community is a, is a crucial core part of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to live the life that Jesus called us to. There's not a moment where he calls us to, to living life in isolation. And, in, and if we're not living in community, we're just missing out on all the opportunities that there is for us to grow, to become more complete versions of ourselves, to fully flourish in our lives. Jesus finds the need for reconciliation and healing in relationships so important that he even encourages us to stop worshiping here, him in church, to stop, to stop at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother, to your sister, whoever you might have a problem with. In Matthew, he reads, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Perhaps the, the, the truth is from this passage that it's, it's a greater act of worship to do the humble and, and work of humility to go and say, I'm sorry that I've wronged you. I'm sorry that I hurt you. 
and to, to ask for forgiveness, to do that work. Perhaps that's a greater act of worship than it is to be at church on a Sunday and to give in the offering plate and to say, Lord, I love you, and to do all these things, to sing along with the songs. Perhaps it's a, perhaps it's a greater act of worship to, to be humbled to say that I messed up and to look for reconciliation, look for healing in the broken relationships around us. And so this, this is sort of a call that it's worth it, right? This is a call that says it's worth it to lean into hard relationships. That doesn't then make it easy to reconcile in those relationships. Doesn't make it easy to say, I've got this long, uh, long hurtful relationship with the people in my family, with, with my, my long ongoing friends, and it just feels insurmountable. It's, it feels so overwhelming. I can't even imagine stepping into that place. What would I even say? In fact, I'd probably get so overwhelmed that i just create more problems. You know, perhaps you feel that weight. This right now, so far, has just been a call to say that it's worth it to lean in. It's worth it to try. It's not a call so far that says that it's easy or says that this is how you do it one, one way or another. We ought to ask ourselves the question, how can, we, how can we, sh- we represent Jesus as we practically lean in to seeking to heal the broken relationships around us, whether it's one-on-one or whether it's in a larger community? And I encourage you, just sort of as a side note, if, if there is a, a tension with you in, in, a, in a relationship that is part of a larger community and that other people are clearly feeling the tension of, that maybe it's worth seeking healing in that relationship within the larger community and not just within that one-on-one relationship. To practically move towards healing and broken relationships, I think we need to stay true to having grace and truth be a part of that. Grace, right, is just unmerited favor, offering something freely that people don't deserve. And perhaps in, in efforts to lean into healing and relationships, we need to just have an abundant, overflowing amount of grace for people because they're in the process of working through things that have happened in the past, things that are currently happening, tensions will rise. And so we need to have, we need to have grace for each other. We need to say that, that even if they don't deserve it, I will continue to love them and I will continue to pursue healing in that space, in the Lord and in his power. But we also have to offer truth, right? We can't just say, it's okay, it's okay, no, it's all right. We can't just continue to take uh, the hurts that somebody has, has given us and just continue to say it's okay, because that's cheap grace, that's not genuine grace. We have to also speak truly. We have to be honest and say truth in love, right? We have to be honest and say, you hurt me because you said this, or you hurt me, you hurt our, our community because of this or this action, whatever the specific thing might be. So you have to, have to live out in both grace and truth because it's just such a difficult thing that we can't have this high pressure of only truth or only grace. That, that won't lead to any health or growth. And if you don't have either of those, then you just end up in isolation and, and those relationships will never heal and never grow. I would say that our, relation, our responsibility, if we're follower of Jesus in any conflict, is to pursue reconciliation despite our role. Whether you are the one who started it or you're the one who finished it or whatever our role might be, wherever we are in in the broken relationship, it's, it's a responsibility on our heart to pursue healing and pursue reconciliation. To seek to be of the same mind and same goal. And if, if you're pursuing healing in a relationship with someone who is also a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to keep in mind to be of the same mind and of the same goal, to see uh, 
all of us to, to spend time with Jesus, to become more like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, right? And to see the people around us come to know the love and joy of what it means to follow Jesus. To not be distracted by the side, side missions or the side things that seem more important than, than what it truly means to follow the Lord. If you've wronged someone, I encourage you that you need to seek to right whatever wrong you've done. If it's possible, fix the wrong thing that you did and ask for forgiveness. Pursue healing in that way. Start there. Perhaps it's not possible to fix what wrong you did. Acknowledge that. Feel the burden of that with that person. Mourn with them over that. Sometimes we can feel that if it's the opposite situation, that if you're so certain that the other person in the relationship wronged you, then it's their job to come to me and fix things. I'm not going to them, right? Like, can you believe what they said to me? If they want to see this relationship healed, then they need to come to me and, and, and see it healed. And I would encourage us that when we look at the gospel, that's not the message that we see, right? Because we were separated far off from God because of our sinfulness and brokenness. And God said, I'm going to come down in the form of man and live a sinless life and die on the cross and, and reconcile this relationship with humanity. He didn't say, let them come to me. It wasn't possible, right? We couldn't come to him and see that healed. And so I encourage you in the same space, if you truly feel, if the reality is that that person has wronged you, it's still worthwhile to lean in. Even if we're, we're afraid of, of how that might turn out, have grace for each other. It's worth it to go to that person, own whatever wrong you've done, and share in truth how they've hurt you, how, how you want to see your relationship grow and change. Um, but lean in, race to be the person who pursues reconciliation, race to be the person who pursues healing, but this is, it's just so hard. It's, it's, it's such a challenge. It's so difficult. It's not clean and it's not straightforward. There's so many fears we have because of previous times that we've tried to, to see healing in relationships and perhaps the person we approached or that approached us didn't take it so well and we have these pent up traumas or hurts from the past and so we're not willing to lean in again. And that's, that's, that's really hard. And I encourage us that there's a lot of work that we need to do in our own souls to see, um, to see us better be able to handle conflict and conflict resolution. There's a lot of places that we can lean into that. I think one place to start is before you go into that space, pray and pray earnestly that God would give you a humble heart, right? And pray that they would give the other person a humble heart as well. That they'd give you both a heart to love each other and see healing happen. Having an honest conversation with a humble spirit is the best way to figure out where the conflict is coming from and how to move forward with restoration. I think sometimes when, when conflict shows up, we think it's one thing and it's actually another thing, right? Like this person hurt me because they said this, but in reality they said it because of these other things that are happening under the surface that we don't really know about. And so I encourage you, whatever conversation that you go into, is just to go in with a curious heart. Never go in with a, a spirit that says, I, I know what you've done that's wrong to me. Never go in with a spirit that assumes someone's heart, right? That just creates more hurt. When you say, you did this, and I'm pretty sure you did it because you don't care about me and you only care about yourself. Like, no one's going to receive that, you know? No one's going to receive when you're trying to, to, like, seek healing. No one's going to receive it if you're not doing it in a humbling, loving way. So resist the urge to assume someone's heart and allow them to share it with you and trust them when they say what it is. Allow them the courtesy and the freedom to respond on their own. My biggest struggle, I think, in this space uh, I just it, just, it feels like this insurmountable hill to get over uh, when I, I want to pursue someone and find healing, but I'm so tempted to say, 
that it's not worth it because I know that when I share what I share, they're not gonna respond well or they're not gonna believe me or like I'm, I'm making up the, the response for them. And that's just not helpful, you know, because then you end up mad at someone for someone they didn't even, something they didn't even do yet, you know? That's that future telling thing, like we can't do that, you know? Just give someone the freedom and the autonomy to, to, to respond how they will. It's also usually easier to forgive than ask for forgiveness. And so if you're in one of those murky situations where you've both wronged each other, try and start where you need to, um, where you need to share what you've done wrong because then it's easier for the other person to receive. It's easier for them to also own their own shortcomings if, if you're not coming accusing, but you're coming apologizing for your own shortcomings. And say, in, in the midst of like cancel culture where people wrong us, people do something that's inappropriate or wrong and we just write them off, we are diligent to lean in and not just give up on relationships because of one bad thing, but we're diligent to see healing. But we're also diligent to acknowledge that not all forgiveness has to lead to a restored relationship the way that it was before. Perhaps it's not healthy for that to be the case, right? Not every relationship that you forgive has to then return exactly to how it was before because perhaps it's not safe, perhaps it's not healthy, and that's up for you to discern within your own heart with people around you if it's healthy or not to, to seek that kind of restoration. But no matter what, we seek forgiveness, right? Whether or not the person that forgives it, our whether or not the person receives it or not, our responsibility is only to offer forgiveness uh, and to, to do that with the Lord. And sometimes, just like in the passage, sometimes we need a mediator just like the true companion. So I encourage you, if you're in a spot where you feel like, I just don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to care for this person. I don't know how to seek reconciliation. Talk to somebody else. Don't just try to figure it out all within yourself. I encourage you, any, any of the people on staff here at City Church would love to get to know you and hear about how they can help you along. If you're in a city group, I encourage you to talk to the people who help facilitate and lead your city group. Share with them what you're going through. Live out relationships with people that love the Lord and want to see, see relationships restored, want to, want to see you live a life that, that honors the Lord well. And it's one thing to make the effort at reconciliation. It's another thing to have the tools to accomplish it. Like I was saying, many of us are frustrated that we've made the effort or that we're fearful to make the effort and we just haven't seen healing come. We've tried over and over again to apologize, to ask for forgiveness, and the same hurts and the same breaks keep coming up. And so this is an ongoing thing that not, not any one message or, or one verse will solve for us. And so I encourage you to lean in. If you wanna see healing take place in your life, in your relationships, in your families around you, lean into to this idea of emotional health and emotional healing. Two books that uh, City Church recommends are The Relational Soul as well as Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Read that and process it with people that you're in community with that also love Jesus. Uh, those are great places to start and learn it, lean into what it's like uh, to, to see healing show up in relationships. So this, this is our, our hope and our call that we would see it's worthwhile to not just leave relationships broken where they're at, this is the call to not just push conflict under the rug and hope that it goes away because inevitably, inevitably that'll just lead to more hurt. The alternative to pursuing healing in relationships and the alternative to that leaves us, leaves us just gripped, you know? Uh, this is what it feels like to not give forgiveness. This is what it feels like to hold on to that bitterness 
that you have towards another person and never see those relationships heal. At first, you feel, I can, I can just stuff down this pain and I'll just continue living on my life. Uh, and maybe I'll just, whenever I'm around them, I'll just be professional with them or I'll just be courteous and just say the, the normal thing and never reach, reach a level of depth. It feels okay to handle at first. Carrying two weights in your hand for the rest of your life at first feels okay. But as time goes on, that bitterness grows, that hurt goes, grows. The relational rift never stays close. It always just builds. It always spreads out. It always grows more. And eventually, as you're walking through life with two weights tied to your hand, it, it becomes insurmountable. It becomes the only thing that you're thinking about. When you're talking to other people who love them and, and are saying good things about them, all you can think about is, but that person did this one thing to me that they're not, they're not great, you know? You can't even hear good things about that person. You can't even see them experience good things because you're so frustrated and you have so many hurts from that person because you're not giving forgiveness freely, because you're not accepting the freedom that Jesus invites us to. Forgiveness comes with freedom when it is freely offered and readily asked for. When we don't resist and we lean in, we take time if we need to, but we pursue forgiveness, we offer it freely, and we accept it when it's offered. We can be freed from, from that, and, and we just feel so much lighter. The gospel hope that gives us, it says that, that there is a way for us to find freedom, and there is a way for us to find healing. It's through Jesus, it's through a relationship with Jesus. As we grow and we heal on that relationship, we don't need to be weighed down. But if we refuse that and we just say, it's too hard, I can't say sorry, if we just refuse it, we say, it's too hard, I can't go to that person, I can't see healing that relationship, it'll just continue to weigh you down more and more and more. And in the long run, it'll cause you more hurt than it will in the short. Few next, step for, next steps for us as we go forth from what Paul has called us to, to seeing healing in relationships if you're a person who has not accepted a restored relationship with God, uh, I encourage you to do so. It's, a fr it's freely offered. We are sinful and broken individuals who live in a sinful and broken world, but God has freely offered for that relationship to be restored, and all we have to do is accept what Jesus already did. There's so much freedom that comes in that. I encourage you to seek healing within your own self, within the own problems that you feel within your own self, through spending time with Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, talking with people about some hurts and, and problems that you have within your own heart. Just seek healing in those spaces, in relationships with others and with, with yourselves. I also encourage you to seek to bring restoration to your broken relationships with others, as well as help others to restore their relationships. It's worthwhile and it's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, we're called to be reconcilers. One last verse for us in 2 Corinthians. We're called to be reconcilers in the Lord. It says, God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So therefore, because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, let's live that out. Let's invite others also into restored relationship with God and with others that he has freely offered. 
Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done in our lives, all that you freely offered. And I pray in this hard, difficult space that you would help us to accept the forgiveness that you freely offered, to offer forgiveness freely to others, to see healing come to relationships that in our own strength seems impossible. But in the Lord and in our relationship with you, it becomes possible. We just praise you for who you are, Lord. And we ask that you would just help us. Where we feel confused, I pray that you'd provide clarity, that you'd encourage us to go go and, and change as a result. Amen.